You may be seated. Boy, I love that song. That's uh, especially helpful when you're getting up to speak the word. Uh, it, it just really what we want to do here today is not hear from Al Lewis, but hear from God. And that's really what we want to have happen. And uh, I tell people that when I preach, I pick a seat, like right there beside my wife, and I imagine me sitting there listening to my sermon, and not to see how well I do, but to listen to what God has to say through me as I'm preaching. Because I want to hear the word of God this morning as well as you. I've studied it, and I've thought about it, and I've prepared this, but I want to hear it as he presents it to you through me. And I want you to hear it that way too. Uh, it is his voice that we're looking for. Let, uh, let me just ask him to do that, would you? Let's pray. Father, I acknowledge that you are here. You are among us. You are with us. And you are with me. And so I want to recognize and depend upon your presence as I speak, that I might speak along with you, that you might speak in me and through me and to me and beside me as I speak your word this morning, that we all might hear from you, not just from me, that we might know you, love you, worship you, and obey you as you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. I'm going to be reading the first uh, six verses here. <clears throat> I don't know what version you use, but I use the ESV, so uh, that's what I'll be reading out of uh, Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. I want to give a, a little uh, background for this, because I think if you don't understand the background, it's difficult to see the severity of what he is talking about here. Yesterday, I spent time with the men, uh, had a wonderful time, and it was a, such a blessing to me, and we talked about this concept of what it means to be in Christ, and it's just an astounding, amazing thing to uh, see what the Scripture has to say about that. It's almost unbelievably good uh, to consider that, and I want to turn there just for a minute, because I want to give that as a background of what this passage is asking us to do. If you turn it in your Bibles just for a minute to John 17, 
a passage that we spent quite a bit of time yesterday on, a prayer that Jesus makes to his Father uh, at the very moment, or moments before he's then arrested and beaten and taken to the cross and dies for us, uh, that he made this petition to his Father that these things would be the result of that work. And he prays first for his disciples, and then he comes and he begins to pray for us. Yes, us here. Uh, Because he says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, that is my disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And if you are here this morning, and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, through the word of the apostles, what he has said in his word through his apostles, then he has you in mind as he is praying this prayer uh, at this climactic point of history. I want you to think about that, that he has something in mind, not just for you generally, but I think in the sovereign omniscience of God, that he's thinking about you personally this morning. If you're a believer in Christ, this is what he's praying for you. And it's, amount, it's amazing what he prays for you. He says here in this next verse, verse 21, that they, all these who believe in me, may all be one. Now that's a, a statement. We have to think about it. what does they mean by that. And he tells us what he means by that. He doesn't just mean get along, be in harmony, those kinds of things. It doesn't even mean just what we're, we read in Ephesians 4.1. He's not saying that you guys need to learn how to be patient and whatnot with you. He's, he's saying more than that. He's saying the foundation of that. Why we should be like that is the result of this prayer. It's astounding what he says. I pray that they all, all of you and I, might be one. And then he says, How? Just as, just like this, you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now, that's an astounding statement. What Jesus means when he says, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, he describes that earlier in John 14. He says this, and it's part of his argument that the Father and I are one. And so if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because we're one. He's in me and I'm in him. It's this whole concept of the Trinity that is beyond our imagination. We get it that he's one God and three persons, but we can't quite figure all that out. But that's okay. We believe it because that's what the Scripture teaches. And you have some sense of this kind of unity between Father and Son is infinitely greater Oneness than we can even imagine. You get that? And then he says, we have that relationship. I'm in you and you're in me. Let them be in us. Oh, wow. Let that soak in. At the very heart of the gospel the ground base center point. That if you're going to be 
saved, it will be because you are connected to and one with Christ and therefore one with the Father and although he's not mentioned with the Spirit. That is, that is the gospel at its root. That he has called you into relationship with him. That you would be one with him. So that he could take your guilt and pay for it. And grant you his righteousness and glory and relationship to the Father. Just, he says here in that next verse that the glory you've given me, I've given to them. The glory of God himself has been given to us because we have been joined together with him in the same way that he is joined to his Son. It's eternal, it's permanent, it's infinitely close. And that's a prayer that has been answered. Absolutely. For you and I, this morning. Now there's lots we could say about that. I could preach a dozen sermons about that and its implications and maybe more. And, and I'm not going to, because uh, we only have... What, a half hour or so left? Uh, but I want you to get this in your mind, that right now, here today, we are one in the same way that Jesus is one with his Father, we are one with Jesus and the Father, and therefore one with each other. See, our oneness is not horizontal so much as it is oneness in God. That if you're one with him and I'm one with him, in him we're one with each other. It can't be any other way. And if you don't want that, you don't want Christ. You don't want the gospel. You don't want any of this to be true. And yet it is. You've been joined together with him, and therefore, like it or lump it, you've been joined together with me. And sometimes you're not going to like it because of who I am in my flesh. But in Christ, we've been made one. Now, that, that supersedes all kinds of other things in our lives. It's the means by which the essence of what we mean by being a Christian is to be joined with Jesus and all the blessings and all the, the outcomes of that are a result of that. As Paul says here in Ephesians, in the first three chapters, he talks about this over and over and over and over again of what it means to be in Christ and what we get for that. And the first one that he says is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's what you already have. Because you're in Christ. <laughs> Is that amazing or not? 
I mean, I, I'm looking out here, and, and people are kind of stunned, and I don't know. And you say, amen. <laughs> this is an amazing. Can you think of a blessing that you don't have in Christ? Well, Paul says, there isn't any. In other words, in all of God's imagination, which is infinite, everything that he could imagine that would be a blessing to you, you have received. Because you have received his son, and in his son you have been made one with God. This is astounding stuff. And the more you think about it, the more crazy you get of exclamation and worship and wowsies and all that other stuff that we can do. Uh, now, this is the introduction to my message. If you don't get that, you don't get Ephesians 4.1. You don't get why he says it. You don't get what the implications are. You don't get... This is why Paul says to respond Respond to that, that significant, foundational, supremely central point of the gospel with the way you live. Now, if you go back to Ephesians 4.1 then, and you consider what Paul is doing here in this passage, he has been talking for three chapters about all these amazing, you might say, theological truths of the blessings we have in Christ. And he wants to build us up and just expand what I just said over and over again in all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different formulas that in Christ you get all this stuff. It's amazing. And then he says, okay, now let's get practical. What should we do in light of that? I have to admit that if I were writing this, well, thank goodness I wasn't. Uh, Paul was under the inspiration of God. But I would have said, so the first thing is watch how you live. You know, straighten up. Stop sinning. Be moral. You know, some of that kind of stuff. It's not what he says. The first thing he talks about is the central thing of the gospel. Unity. And notice how he describes it. It's a very interesting way that he describes it. He says here, I, a prisoner of the Lord, it's his credibility that he's in prison because of Christ. I urge you, it's a strong word, beg you, you might say, to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Are you worthy? Well, it's not that kind of worthy. Because, of course, none of us are worthy of God's grace. That's the opposite of grace, right? You, you can't be worthy of grace, or it's not grace. Uh, we're unworthy. We're wicked. We're lost. We're broken. And God's grace has renewed us and brought us to life in Christ. And nobody is worthy of that. So that's not what he's saying. You're not saying, well, live a life that is, makes you worthy of that. No, he's, he's saying respond to that in a way that corresponds to that, that fits with that, that brings honor to that. 
You see what he's saying. He said, in other words, think right about the gospel and respond in a way that corresponds to what the gospel says. Otherwise, you're not being worthy of it. You're, you're doing something else. And he wants us to, after he's laid out these first three chapters, he says, all that stuff, respond to that in a way that's consistent with it, that's worthy of that, that says, yeah, I believe that, that's, that's honorable, and I'm going to live my life in a way that shows that in my life. And the first thing he talks about is our oneness. And I think it's because that's the core. It's the core of who we are. It's the core of what it means to be a Christian. It's the core of the gospel. It's we're united with Christ. We're made one with him. And that's not something we do. That is something that has been done for us and in us and through us by him as he has brought us to life in Christ. The life we have is the life of Christ. He doesn't give you this thing called life and says, oh, here, here's, have some life. He gives you himself, and we share in his life. It's an amazing thing. Why? It's kind of like an infinitely divine marriage. That is, you are joined together with him. You become one with him, and all that he is and all that he has and everything about him, you even take his name. You're joined together with him in all these amazing blessings and everything you can imagine is a result of that central issue that we, even as you, Father, and me, and I am in you, that they may be in us. I want them to be one like that. And so we are. Now, if you see that, how do you walk in a way that's worthy of that? Does it make sense what he's doing? And notice what he, how he describes it. He says, uh, worthy of the calling to what you've been called. What have we been called to? Now, this word can be used in a number of different ways. In fact, in one way, is everybody's been called to Christ, Right? God commands everyone to repent and believe in his son. I mean, that, we're all called, but it doesn't, uh, doesn't, it's not heard by many. But there is a call that God works in your life that actually he causes you to hear and respond to. It's kind of like the call of Lazarus when he was in the grave. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come here. Now, how does a dead man hear that? The command brought life. And the natural response to that is, yeah, I'm getting out of here. Who wants to stay in the grave if you're alive? You know? And how did he didn't say, Lazarus, would you like to come out? Well, he couldn't hear that either. Uh, He just said, come here. And Lazarus, you betcha, I'm coming. And that's what's happened to you. You've been called, but what have you been called to? There's different ways of Scripture uses that, but I'm going to say it's you've been called to be one with him. 
You've been called into life. Like Lazarus, we've been resurrected. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. If you've come to know him, you have come to know the resurrection. You've come to internally experience it. And that is our calling. The calling, come to me. We're called into Jesus. So, how do you respond in a way that's worthy of that? And he gives us some instruction here about that. Notice the next phrases that he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. It's an interesting thing to say. Humility. Why? How should I respond to the gospel with humility? Well, in one sense, like I said, I absolutely have not, will not, or ever be worthy of what he has done for me. And I have to be humble about that and say, it's not of me. It's of you. It's all of you. It's all of you. And I, I got nothing to contribute to this thing. That's just part of it, but I don't think that's exactly what he means. I think he means that I'm humble with regard to you. That I'm supposed to live out this relationship we have, that I'm supposed to be humble with regard to you. And therefore, you, you need to be humble with regard to me. Why? The same reason. As a human being, as a natural person, I am a mess. And I don't mean to offend you, but so are you. You know that. It's just, you know that, right? Everybody here, if we had a chance to everybody go around and confess all the sins of the last week, tell us everything you've done, thought, or imagined, and we'd all be totally humiliated with ugliness. So, as I relate to you, being one with you, I have to first start with the fact that I'm not finished. And so I don't have this get-your-act-together kind of attitude. As if I did have my act together. That I say, hey, we're all in the same boat. We are all dependent on him and his grace. And I realize you're struggling with certain things, and I'm struggling with certain things, and let's just be honest, we're all in this together. That kind of humility. So I'm not above you. It's a strange and ugly thing when pastors are seen as above their people as if there's some kind of saintliness about us that's not about you. We're all in the same boat. That's why I sit over here and listen to my own messages. I said, I want to hear that. I want to hear God speak to me and say, yeah, are you being humble with others? We're all together. So uh, humble. And then he says here, gentle. Boy, 
Is that absent in the Christian world today? Gentleness with each other? That we're careful. You know, I'm, I've never had much dexterity in my fingers, and you can prove that by looking at my handwriting. It's, you know, my wife has got these beautiful hands that are just delicate and busy, but they're gentle. And I have to learn how to be gentle. She just is. And I think about that, that tenderness, that care, that precision, that slight touch, that I need to learn. I'm more of a, you know, let's get her done kind of guy. And I have to learn to be gentle with others who are wrestling with the same kind of stuff I am. And maybe in some ways, gentle with myself. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop it. Stop joining the devil and condemning yourself when Christ doesn't because he became the curse for us and has called us into relationship with him that delivers us from that struggle. Not completely in this life, but certainly, ultimately, eternally. All that we struggle with is what he died for. So, can I be gentle with you when you're struggling with your sin? Rather than harsh and demanding and, yeah, yeah, let's learn how to do that. Let's learn how to help each other gently and not with a lot of fire and anger, just gentle. Us men, we need to learn that, that gentleness is a manly characteristic, gentle strength. That's what God has for us. So, how do we respond to this gospel call into unity in Christ with humility and gentleness and patience? Oh, my goodness. How long has it taken you to get to where you are in your Christian life? It's taken me 66 years. And I tell people I think I'm about 25% there. You know, it's just, it's a long, long, slow, bit by bit thing, isn't it? I mean, I have these sudden leaps at certain times at about that high, but they seem like a big leap, and I, oh, I get something, and it's, oh, it's fantastic, and then it's another, you know, three years before I go another quarter of an inch. And, and trying to accumulate that and figure out how to respond and work. And you know, I've got all this other stuff. And it's, it's, a, it's a lifelong, bit-by-bit thing, this thing, sanctification, isn't it, in our lives? And uh, so, when I was younger, I wasn't so patient even with myself. 
And I've learned over time, you better be patient because it's going to take time. And you better be patient with others. I told the men yesterday that I, I hope this church always has problem people in it. Well, it does. It has some problem people, but really problem people. Because I, I hope that there's brand new believers coming in here that don't know beans about anything. And their life's a mess. And you've got to put up with that. Because they're just starting. And like a baby has some things about it that are just not fun. You know? Kind of messy and stinky and aggravating. But we love them, don't we? Because we have hope for growth. And so, patience is required. Humble and gentle and patient. Boy. I don't know if we talk about that enough and how we treat each other. But here it is, the first statement of how to walk worthy of this calling into oneness with Christ are these characteristics and how we should deal with each other. Huh. And then finally he says here, bearing with one another in love. Boy, that's hard too, isn't it? Why do I have to bear with you? Because you're a pain in the neck. Let's just face it. We hurt each other. We mess up. We aggravate each other. We, we offend each other. We, we sin against each other. And I have to put up with that. Gently and patiently and humbly. Right? If everybody was wonderful, you don't have to bear with anything. You just love it. But bearing means you have to survive it in a sense. These per people that are doing all these screwball things, including me, that we have to, in a sense, put up with each other, not in an aggravated way, but humbly and patiently and gently. Now, I don't think that means that we ignore each other's sin. They say, no, don't worry about it. Sorry, just do whatever you want. We'll put up with it. I don't think that's what it means at all. That is absolutely opposite of what we're called to do. But as we help each other in this struggle to live out our union with Christ, let's do it gently and humbly and patiently and let's put up with each other some uh, and approach each other instead of like, come on, get your act together. You can do better than that. To how can I help you make progress in Christ-likeness? And would you help me while you're at it to do that? Because i got a whole bunch of stuff that I'd like to get more reflective of him. And I see something in you. I don't have to point out every mistake you make, every failure you have in your life. But if I see persistent things, brother, sister, can I, can I help? Can I come alongside you? How can I help you with that? And uh, it's that kind of thing, bearing with, uh, you know, riding along with, bearing the burden with, 
those kinds of things, carrying it alongside you, humbly, patiently, and gently, carrying the load with you, is how we're called. Why? Because we're one. You see, if, if I help you, and we're one, I just help me. You get that? It's like my hands. Uh, if I slap my hand, whew, it's not just my hand that hurts. I hurt. Right? It's all of me hurts. And if I am kind to my hand, it feels good to all of me. You see what I'm saying? So when I, whatever I do with you, in effect, is what I'm doing to me. Because we're one. That's what he's saying here. That's the way to be worthy of our calling into union with Christ is to act like it among ourselves in these ways. Are you, are you, are you with me? You seeing that? So, so he... You're saying, is that really what he's talking about? Well, this, it seems like it, because then he says, there is uh, one, uh, let's see, where are we at? He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There we are. That's what he's talking about. What is the bond of the Spirit? You see, it's the Holy Spirit that causes us to be one with Christ. And we're told that it's through him we're baptized into this body, into this union with Christ that Jesus puts us, I mean, the Spirit puts us in Christ and in the Father so that we have that oneness. That's a function of the Holy Spirit in that process. And so the Spirit has bound us together, so pay attention to that. And he says, eager to maintain that, First of all, eager. How eager are you to pursue this kind of gentle, patient, kind, loving unity? Are you eager for that? He says, get eager. And to maintain, he's not saying if you don't do this, you won't be one. That's been settled. We're one in Christ, eternally. In the same way that the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, and that's not changing ever, we are now in them, and that's not changing ever. So the oneness that we have in Christ is permanent, but the experience of it, the evidence of it, the walking worthy of that is not. We don't have to live like that. We can live in the flesh and the flesh is full of contention and anger and disputing and trouble and arguments and all that kind of garbage. And you can do that, or you can walk worthy of what you've been called to. And so be eager to get after it and work for this to be an experienced reality among us, the oneness we have in Christ. So you, I can't wait to get after that. 
is kind of that kind of eagerness. Okay? If you're, if you're having trouble with this, just raise your hand and say, come on, get clear, will you? Uh, I'm trying to make this as straightforward as I can. This is what we are centrally called to. It's the first thing. Highest priority. Because it's at the center of the gospel. So he says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Isn't that what I've been saying? He kind of ends with what I began with. That this is why we're doing this. How many times did he say one there? I don't know. We could count them, but a lot. This is the whole thing. You got the idea that this is all one. Everything about this is one. How you got there, where you are, who you're going to, it's just one. This is who we are. This is what we've been called to. And it is amazing what we've been called to. More than we can imagine is what we've been called to. To enter into that intimate oneness with God Almighty. And all that that blesses us with. We're blessed because, well, I told the guys yesterday, I read this statement by a guy a long time ago, 40 years ago or so, and it's changed my life and set me on this trail, and it was this. God has not given us many things. He's only given us one thing. He's given us his son, and in his son, he's given us everything. Oh, Lord, who are you to do such things? Everything you are and have, you have given to us in your Son. You have given us a bunch of stuff. You've given us yourself. Wow. One. That's the root of that. We're one with him, and therefore, one with each other. And so he says, act like it. Now, let's just think of some of the ways that we can act like that. As you look around the room, and you kind of, oh, just do that. Look around the room a little bit. Look at each other. You know, just do this exercise. And, Say, who are these other people? And you can feel. Yeah. That could get weird. Yeah, I know, it is. It could get weird, but it's not going to. Uh, so uh, we just look around and say, well, look at all these people in here. And, and I, most of you I don't know. And you don't know me. In some ways, I'm glad of that. You know, because there's things about me I don't ever want you to know. Let's just face it. You know that about yourself, too. We're fleshly. 
It's embarrassing. And that's just who we are. But we're called to oneness so that my shame you can help me deal with and find relief in Jesus. So I don't have to be ashamed, especially don't have to be ashamed alone. You can help me if you know me and if you know each other. You already know some things about each other and you say, well, you know, know." Susan aggravated me once. Uh, I remember that. (laughs) It's it's 25 years ago, but I remember it. I'm never going to forget it. Eh, Not so much. I can't really remember any way you aggravated me. I do remember one time that she gently encouraged me. When I was at the bottom and half my church was ready to walk out and did walk out on me. You were there. That's what I remember. In the midst of my failure, someone came along and said, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm going to be there beside you. And we're going to make it. That's being worthy. That's being worthy. We need that with each other. Especially here. Jesus says there in John 17 that this oneness that he's calling us to has a purpose. That the world might know that you sent me. It's that supernatural, unimaginable oneness that we're pursuing to experience what he has already done for us that the experience and expression of that is our primary witness to the reality of Jesus, who he is, and what he was sent to do. It's not exactly the gospel message. It's proof of the gospel message. We still have to say the words, but our unity says, see, it it works. It's a reality. He is who he says he is because he can take a bunch of people like us and make us one. And as we express that, the world says, well, those are different, unusual kind of people. And I think the result is people says, I think God is there. That's worthy of what he's done for us. But you know, this, this extends beyond this room. I think there's another church meets right over here in another part of the building. And I don't know those people, but I'm assuming that there's some people in there who love Jesus. But they're a little different than us, aren't they? Yeah, they, they are. We have some things that we maintain. I say me because I 
I'm 100% in alignment with you guys. Well, 99, I guess. I don't know the 1%. Uh, <laughs> but we have our values. We have our theology. We have our practice. We have our government. We have these things that we hold dear because we see them in the Scripture and they, the way we understand that. And, and we're happy to believe those things. And they don't believe some of that stuff down here. I want to be careful here because I deeply love truth. I deeply love the word. I deeply love thinking carefully and living according to that word. But that is not number one. Our theology is not number one. Preaching the word is not number one. What is, number, what is the one essential for the church? Jesus. Is he here? And if we do all this stuff and he's not here, let's fold up our chairs and go home. It's useless. Now, I think our preaching and our theology and all that stuff enhances our opportunity to invite him to rule here and have his way among us. And so I think it's important in that sense, but ultimately there's only one central thing is Jesus here. He is our life. If we don't have him, you know that passage, you have the son, you have life. If you don't have the son, you don't. Do they have Jesus over there? I think so. I'm guessing they do. Now they got some other things that are just like, oh my goodness, why, why do you do this stuff? But they have the essential. And how should we respond? Yeah, you got it. Patient, gentle, kind, step by step, putting up with some of that nonsense. You know, I'm I'm being a little biased. And, and saying, we're one with you. Doesn't mean we don't stand for what we believe, but we do so gently, patiently, loving those who are different in such a way that we exhibit our oneness. If you know Jesus, we're one. We get a lot of this stuff. Maybe we can't always do everything. I mean, we just can't worship in the same place because you're either going to do this or you're not going to do this. And so let's just let freedom be and you go do your thing over there, but let's don't let them be over there and be separate from us. And if one of those, somebody like that, wanders in here, hallelujah, welcome, we're one. Now, this is who we are, and so you kind of got to put up with us like that, and, and we'll be patient with you, and, and if you aren't quite where we are yet, wonderful. We got time. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, but we're going to love you anyway. We're going to accept you anyway. You see what I'm saying? This is the ultimate point of the gospel. Let's make sure 
that we get that right in the way we live with each other in this room and outside this room with other believers anywhere we run into them. We put up with them patiently, lovingly, kindly. You, you talking about, you know what I mean? And that's what's worthy of the gospel. And I, I was thinking about this and I thought, how do I do that? And the way I usually do that kind of thing is I do it when I feel like it. Now, I've been all over the world, and we've been with all different kinds of people. We've been in 50 different countries and probably 100 different cultures, and we run into all kinds of people and all kinds of colors of skin and everything else in the world, and we just have found that we can find Jesus there in people's lives, and it's been amazing. Now, there's a lot of stuff that they do and believe, and, and I just like, ugh. And so we haven't really focused on that. We just teach them how to study the Word and then hope that they figure out how some of that stuff is nonsense or even worse, harmful. But in the meantime, we have wonderful friends in all kinds of different places and different situations and different languages and different theologies that we count dear because we're one. There's a kind of thing like that. You know it. You meet somebody and, oh yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus and bingo, you, you're connected. You know, it's like you've known this person a long time. You, you know what that is. That's the spirit of God. And sometimes that's the way I respond. If I feel that, then I can be kind of kind and patient and loving and excited about getting to know you. If I don't, look out. You know. Don't don't try that when I'm tired. You know, or sick or something. Uh, but here's what I think it is. It's a discipline of the gospel. A discipline of the gospel. What do I mean by that? I have to remind myself of the foundational truth of the gospel. On this issue and lots of others, but right now, this, this issue is a central point of the gospel. I have to discipline myself to remember that and think about it before I run into you. And then I have to discipline myself to say whether I feel like it or whether you're bugging me, I don't like your personality, I don't like the way you look or I don't like what you've done, I have to discipline myself to say, I am going to walk in the gospel. Lord, help me. And he will. He's not far. He's right here. He's right, one with me. And so if I say, Lord, I'm having a hard time loving that guy, would you love him through me? He will. You partner with me. Make my love better. Make my patience more patient. So it's a discipline. A discipline to think about truth 
and to prepare myself to live by it and to come back to it and correct myself when I don't. And that's what I challenge you with today. Walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called in the oneness that's in him. Be eager to preserve that unity and discipline yourself to act that way with one another and with believers that you run into in your life in other places. Amen? Father, thank you for this reminder to me. Now I can be rather standoffish and critical and demeaning to your people who haven't quite figured out what I have. Forgetting that I haven't figured it all out yet either. So thank you, Father, for reminding me to discipline myself to treat others as one with me in Christ, in process, to have that all worked out in their lives. And one day it will be perfectly at your coming in our total transformation, which we long for, look forward to. I don't want to be embarrassed, Father, by the way I've treated your people when that day comes. I want to be expectant and hopeful for them as I am for me. So remind us all, Father. Thank you so much for calling us into oneness with yourself and each other. And may we live in a way that's worthy of that. In Jesus' name, amen.